Well, good morning. Listen, I want you to uh, listen for just a second. Do you hear the rain? Can you hear it? I think it's so beautiful to think about the rain and to think about God's promise to uh, grow new things in us when it rains. And I love leaning into that metaphor. So with that in mind, would you listen now to this word from God? It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there might be a riot among the people. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat there at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some who were there said to one another in anger, why was this ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me, for you will always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. And so truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Amen. Amen. I feel kind of bad for the disciples in this story. I mean, at this point in the book of Mark, we kind of have understood that they're a little bit thick-headed, to be nice, right? Uh, I, I kind of rolled my eyes along with Jesus when uh, the disciples couldn't understand the parable of the sower. Right, Jesus actually said to them, if you can't understand this one, how are you gonna understand the others? In other words, this is the easiest one, guys. Um, and I, I smacked my forehead when the disciples were on the road with Jesus arguing about greatness. And I wanted to smack them in the head when James and John asked Jesus if they could sit next to him in heaven. As if Jesus was gonna be like, yes, that's a good thing to be thinking about when you're doing this ministry with me, thank you. <laughs> I mean, these disciples, they were unnerved with the mentally ill. They were hopeless about the physically ill. They didn't want to feed the crowds. They silenced the voices of women. And I was just about ready to give up on them when again and again and again, the disciples try to keep the poor away from Jesus. And again and again and again, Jesus tells them, no, these are the people I want to be around, the voices I want to lift up, right? These are the ones I care about. And the disciples just don't seem to get it. So now that we're nearing the end of the book of Mark, chapter 14, if I'm one of the disciples, and it's finally getting through to me that, 
oh, maybe I should care about the poor. And we get to this story, and then they think, oh, wait, I know the answer here. Don't forget about the poor. I kind of feel bad when Jesus is like, wrong answer. Right? I mean, the response is kind of understandable. Don't waste your money like this, but use your money to care about the poor. It seems kind of like a reasonable thing to be concerned about, to me at least. So then I have to ask myself, so what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, let's tease out this story a little bit more. It was two weeks before the holiday season began. Sound familiar? Jesus was having dinner with some friends, and while they were all eating together in this small house, she came up to him, and she was not supposed to come up to him. There were rules about what her place was in that room, There were certain things that she should be doing and certain things that she shouldn't be doing. And coming up to Jesus like this, approaching him, was one of the things that she shouldn't be doing. But filled with this spirit of boldness and urgency, perhaps with a new, a fresh understanding of who God is in Christ, she did. She broke the rules. She came up to him, and an uncomfortable silence came over the room. And all the heads turned to her, and the tension was thick. As she then pulled out this jar, this perfume, that was worth tens of thousands of dollars, she held it and cradled it in her hands and broke it, and poured it out over Jesus' head. And there was a deafening silence in the room and all that could be heard was the glug, glug, glug of the perfume drenching Jesus. And in that small house, the smell of this profuse amounts of concentrated perfume was overwhelming. It stung the inside of their noses made their eyes water, no doubt would be lingering in that place for weeks, if not months, to come. So everyone sat frozen, stunned, until one of them stood up suddenly as if he couldn't take it anymore, and he shouted, what are you doing? What are you doing? What a waste! This is absurd! There are so many things you could be doing with that amount of money. What are you thinking? His words of unbelief came out harsh and loud. If it was possible to make that room feel any more awkward, he did it. His frustration was visible in the redness of his face, and his stinging words crushed her spirit that had just a second ago been filled with such boldness and vulnerability. And so she lowers her head in shame. But just as that moment, just at that moment, Jesus reached out to her, looked her in the eyes, and smiled. And I wonder, I just wonder, 
If, as he was looking at her, with this perfume, this ointment, this oil dripping off his eyebrows, down his cheeks, onto his shoulders, his robe now soaked in it, I wonder, was he remembering Psalm 133 in that moment? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, down upon the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. Psalm 133, how very good it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like being drenched in oil. This real life enactment of this metaphor of the psalmist, of living in unity with Christ. Was that running through Jesus' head? Well, turning around, Jesus looked at his friend that was standing there, probably with his finger still pointed, and he said to him, stop this. What are you doing? That is the question here. You still don't understand. She gets it, though. She does. She is living in step with me, in unity with me. And Jesus then turns to the rest of the room, all of whom probably were still clamoring for greatness in some way, perhaps even in a veiled way with this comment, right? And he said to them, it is she who will be remembered wherever the good news is told around the world the extravagance of her worship, the absurdity of it all. It catches us off guard along with the disciples, doesn't it? The text says here that the ointment that she poured out was worth 300 denarii, which was equivalent to about a year's worth of wages, of pay for the average worker in the first century. So to translate this today, This woman poured out a perfume that could have cost $40,000, drenching Jesus' head, evaporating off his skin within minutes. That is absurd, especially when Jesus had been teaching so fiercely about caring for the poor. So can you imagine if you saw this? Where would your mind go? Honestly, if I was there, I probably would have been with the disciples. Yeah, you could have sold this for a lot of money and done a lot of really good things with it. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, you still don't get it, I feel Jesus telling me that as well. And I ask myself, what is it that I still don't get? What is it that I still am not understanding? And so here's what I wonder. At this point, in the year, at this point in the semester, I wonder, am I spending too much time trying to understand with the wrong part of my brain? I've got a lot on my plate. I would guess that that is true for most of you in this room as well. I've got a long to-do list. I know you do too because I've seen some of them. And so by nature, at this point in the semester, I think practically, usually, practically 
about how to spend my time, how to spend my resources, my energy in the most efficient way possible, right? I'm strategic about my prioritizing. If you're sitting here thinking, gosh, I wish I were more like that, come talk to me afterwards. Um, No, but I wonder, I wonder, perhaps this is a call to worship in a busy time of the year, to worship Jesus in a way that doesn't make sense, a call to worship God in extravagance and absurdity, to let the Holy Spirit guide us and instead of our less holy to-do list. Because it's these moments when I say to myself, I don't have time, those are the moments when I need to make the time. Right, so what would it look like for us to do this, to follow her example and embrace this extravagance and pour out something as valuable as this? How absurd and extravagant it would be if you're looking at your week and every minute is mapped out How absurd and extravagant would it be to take a whole morning or a whole evening and to devote it the entire time to pouring out huge amounts of your time in one day to connect with God in nature or in worship or with music or in community to say, no, I don't have time, but I'm gonna make time and I'm gonna pour out my time in extravagant worship in this way. How absurd would it be at this point in the semester when you've carefully curated all your relationships to look a certain way, your network to be in a certain place, how absurd would it be to in in extravagant worship pour out your social capital and to say, hey, this is the reason why I do what I do to say, I love being a disciple of Christ. This is who I am, and this is going to define what I do. How absurd would it be to pour out your money into the offering plate or at the doorstep of that nonprofit or in an envelope for that person you know that needs it? What would an extravagant act of worship like that look like? How extravagant would it be in this season of checklists and tests and papers and finals, how extravagant would it be to pour out your creativity in extravagant worship for God, in music or art or beauty or hospitality? Madeline Engel says this about holy creativity. In the act of creativity, the artist lets go of self-control, which they normally cling to, and is open to riding the wind. Something almost always happens to startle us during the act of creating, but not unless we let go of our adult intellectual control and become as open as little children. To ride the wind, to be surprised. This passage is not about giving us an excuse for Christians to be really wealthy or a license to disregard the poor. Rather, this passage assumes that that is going to always be happening, right? Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. You will always be engaging this. But, like Jesus teaches a few chapters earlier, he says, when you love others, you must always, 
also love me. This double love command. Sometimes loving Jesus with everything that you have calls us to break out of the practicalness of our routines and the logic of our to-do lists and to break open that jar of costly perfume and to pour out extravagant worship that doesn't make any sense. So let me invite the band to come back up and leave you with this question. How will you worship this week? How will you worship this week? How can we let this example call us to extravagant, absurd worship of Jesus Christ in this season? Amen?